All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Amen. How many of you are happy that it's June? I'm happy it's June. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here in Scotch Plains. Come on, we want to welcome everyone watching in one of our overflow spaces. We're glad that you're watching outside, enjoying the weather today. Uh, we're glad for everyone watching at a part of our church online family. Church, come on, would you help me welcome those that are tuning in online? And also, we want to welcome our Evangel Woodbridge family who's tuning in live right now over in Woodbridge. We're so glad you're here, Pastor Leslie and the whole team. God bless you. We are so excited for what God has in store You've chosen a great day to be with us today. We are looking forward to beginning a brand new series of messages, and it's been burning in my heart for, uh, for a few weeks now. And uh, we're going to talk more about this series called We Live on Mission in just a few moments. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Acts chapter 8? And um, I want to pray. I need the Lord's help today um, to share this word. Jesus, Lord. Lord, if you don't come and speak to our hearts today, we can't do what we're going to talk about today. We need you, Lord, to make this word alive in our hearts. As I said to someone between services today, Lord, my prayer is over these four weeks that a fire will be lit in our hearts by you. That you will create a passion within us, Lord, that maybe for some of us is just not there yet. But Lord, as we look to your word today, would you teach us what it means to live out the pages of this scripture? And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Houston, we've had a problem. These famous words were spoken through a radio broadcast 51 years ago, April 11th, 1970, by the Apollo 13 spacecraft, three years, or three years, three days into their journey into space, they were 205,000 miles away from Earth. They were calling out to mission control in Houston, Texas. There was a problem. There was an explosion on board the spacecraft that created a cascading chain of events that put the lives of everyone on board in jeopardy. Not only would they not be able to land on the moon, but they weren't sure that they would make it back to Earth alive. They were losing oxygen. Their mission had become compromised, and they weren't sure what was going to happen. Now, many of us, some of us that are listening today, this was a part of your lifetime. You remember these events. You remember listening and understanding the news as it happened. For some of us in our lifetimes, this story has become immortalized in film and television. We understand how this incredible crew and mission control came together to preserve that mission and preserve the lives of them so that they could get home safely. You know, it was... Uh, since that time that we will now say those words that have now kind of changed just a little bit to say, Houston, come on, say it with me, we have a problem. Now, some of you, by a show of hands, have used those terms before when describing other things. It's now become a statement synonymous with an unexpected challenge, with something that is of critical nature, something that we would call mission critical, that when it's gone off course, we can say those words, Houston, we have a problem on our hands, a critical problem. And so I say again today, Houston, 
we have a problem. Evangel, we have a problem. Woodbridge, we have a problem. Say, Pastor, what's the problem? The problem that we have today is mission critical. The problem we have today is not due to an explosion like Apollo 13. It's due to an erosion, a falling away, a decaying of something that's so critical to the life of a believer and the calling of a church. We have a problem. What's the problem, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. The problem is 53%. That's the problem. 53% church, it's a problem. 53% of what, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. I heard you, Woodbridge. 53%. A recent Gallup study, a poll, has revealed a startling finding just a few months ago. For the first time in all of our lifetimes, 53%. 53% of people have no affiliation with church or a worship gathering or faith in the United States of America. For the first time in our lifetime, it is now the majority that have no connection to a place of worship. 53%. In some of your lifetimes, back in the 70s, that number was at 24%. It has more than doubled in the last few decades. There is an erosion. People are falling away. People are not connecting with church. They're not coming to church. My friends, they're not coming. Your neighbors, your coworkers, family, friends, people that drive down the street. There are thousands of cars that drive by Scotch Plains. And guess what? Some of them, they don't even know what this building is. When they go through a crisis, when a storm hits them in life, they're not thinking about a pastor. They're not thinking about church. They're not thinking about God. They are not coming. 53%, that is the problem. Houston, we have a problem. More appropriately, heaven, we have a problem. The majority of the people around us have no desire and no connection to a church, to a, a place of worship, to even the Lord. It's a problem. It's a big problem. Now you'd say, Pastor, I, I, I know though that churches grow. Like We've seen evangel growing over years and some other churches have grown and I, I can't believe that it's getting that bad. I mean, isn't, it's, I thought churches are growing. Some churches are growing. But here's what I want you to know. The majority of churches that are growing in America today are not because new people are coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's because people are leaving dying churches to find new churches. And as I heard one pastor and leader say, heaven does not rejoice when we play musical chairs. Are you with me today? What causes heaven to rejoice? Jesus said it himself. What causes heaven to rejoice? When one person that's lost is found. When one person that doesn't know Jesus enters into the kingdom, the angels in heaven rejoice. Now we play musical chairs. Church, we have a problem. We've lost something. You know when heaven rejoices the most? When we live on mission with Jesus. 
when we live out the calling that Jesus gave to his church. Do you know Jesus had a mission? He said it in a few different ways. But to say it most succinctly, he said this, the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. He came for those that were lost. I was lost, but now I'm found. Praise God. Anyone else with me? Know what that is. He came that we could be found and saved. And not only that, but when Jesus died and rose again, he began his church and everyone that followed him. He spoke to them and he gave them a calling. He gave them a mission. He said, go therefore into all nations and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Jesus has a mission. Do you know that? His mission to seek and save the lost. That we would see more people find and follow him. One way that he says it is found in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Come on, would you look at your neighbor and say, he sent us. Jesus has a mission. He has a mission. Oftentimes we talk about it like the church has a mission. We say, hey, the church has a mission. What's your mission? What's your mission? What's your mission? If we're the church of Jesus, a church that worships him, that he's our Lord and Savior, it's not our mission, it's his mission. You know, I've become convicted by something. I want to stop saying that our church has a mission. I want to begin saying the mission of Jesus has us, has a church. The mission of Jesus has a group of people ready to live out that mission. Are you with me today? He has a mission to go into all the world. He has a mission to seek and save the lost. He has a mission to have a people that are sent in the world to seek and save and find those that are far from him and allow them to come into a life-changing relationship with him. That's what Jesus is all about. And so we have a value here at Evangel Church. Because for us, it isn't just about loving the mission. It isn't just about saying, oh, this is really nice. Here's what we say. We live on mission. What that means is that we partner in the mission of Jesus across the street and around the world. We want to live out the calling that Jesus has for his followers. Will someone say amen? So I get back to this statement. Houston, we have a problem. More and more people all around us are lost in not finding hope in Christ. And a part of the problem, I believe, is that we're only fulfilling a part of what Jesus has called us to. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. We're good at having services. We're good at having altar calls. We're good at gathering here, and I will share the gospel, and we will have people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Praise God it happened this morning. Will someone rejoice? Because heaven's rejoicing. People have come to know Jesus. We're thankful. But I didn't have to leave this building for that to happen. They came here. And I'm so happy you came. And I'm so happy if you accepted Christ. But my heart is broken that 53% of the people are not coming through our doors. They won't have this experience. They won't come to this altar. They won't even drive into our parking lot. There are things that are standing in the way of them encountering the living God. 53%. So what's the answer? To do what Jesus said. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. The church has lost its sentness. We have reduced church 
to coming and sitting in a building or tuning into a screen. To be the church is to be a sent people that says we're not just living for Jesus on Sunday. We're not just representing Jesus at the end of a service when an altar call is given. We're living every single day, 365, 365 days a year. We are on mission wanting to serve Jesus, wanting to be used by him. Can I get an amen? That's the problem. And the answer is if we can learn what it means to live on mission, if we can learn what it means that as the church, it's not just when we're gathered, it's when we scatter and go our separate ways that we can be at our most powerful. You know, if we scatter and we're just scattered and we're not connected to Christ and we're not doing much, then it's not very powerful. But if we're scattered, wherever we find ourselves, we have people tuning in from all over the world right now. Where you are, Jesus wants to make a difference. Woodbridge, Jesus wants to change the face of that whole entire community. Church family, we believe Scotch Plains, Plainfield, Westfield, every part of this area that we are from, it can be forever changed, not because this building is here, but because you are here. And because if you can catch a fire in your heart to say, Jesus, I don't just want to love the mission, I want to live on mission, then we can, we can turn this world upside down, church. Not by our power, but by his power. By what he wants to do in us and through us. You know, I think we've got a little too fixated on just reducing church to a gathering. But I want you to know, if we can understand the power of what it means to be scattered, and what can happen when as we leave our services, that's not the end of anything, that's just the beginning of the gospel being preached, of lives being changed, of, of all of that. What if you didn't have to wait for a Sunday to see someone's life transformed? That's what the Lord wants to do. Let's look here in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, there's a great persecution that starts to break out over the church. There's a, there's a, they, they, they stop their worship gatherings. They wouldn't let them. In fact, this guy named Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, radically transformed life, he starts kicking in doors and arresting people for having church services, for meeting together. And it goes from this amazing group of thousands of believers in Jerusalem who are having these amazing worship services, these amazing gatherings. Every day, the Bible says, people are coming into, their, in, into the fold. People are being saved. But then the persecution breaks out. And with the persecution comes the scattering. And we think, man, that's terrible. You look at the last 15 months, we've been scattered. We had months where we weren't able to meet together in a building. And, and for some of us, it, 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 it paid a great, a great toll on us. It took a toll on us. We, we love to be together. But when the church in the book of Acts scattered, the gospel went forth and was changing lives everywhere. It was amazing to see what happened. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, but all the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. You know, I'm convicted. Can I be honest with you? That I kept seeing the last 15 months of the times that we were scattered as such an inconvenience, such a difficulty. How can I get in the church building? How can I, how, how can I make sure I'm preaching online? How can I make sure? I wish that this word would have come more alive to me then. Because what, is it, what does it mean that maybe while we were scattered, the Holy Spirit was saying, man, I'm about to change someone's life. Don't, don't look at it that you can't be in the building on Sunday, but at that coffee shop on Sunday, I'm going to bring someone into the kingdom. In that place of work, don't worry, don't worry. Where you are, that's conversations that you're having at the supermarket. I want you to preach the gospel wherever you are, not just in the building. Come on, somebody. The Lord wants to do more in us and through us. 
A scattered church on mission is a very powerful thing. Watch that. Look in China. They shut down all the church buildings. Now China's church is growing more than it ever has grown. Why? Because they've scattered. They've gone underground. They're connecting. Lives are being changed. People are coming into the kingdom. Why? Because as they scatter, they're preaching the gospel wherever they go. I want you to understand the power of this for just a moment. Why don't you pull out your phone with me right now? Just if you have a phone, if that phone has a calculator on it, go ahead and bring up that calculator app. And um, while you're getting that phone out, if you want to send a text message to us, we actually have daily devotionals with this series. If you want to continue to grow and apply what we're going to be talking about today to your life, um, you can send a text message and we'll send you the devotionals. Just send uh, the word live, L-I-V-E, to uh, 908-325-5163. It's a number you're always texting. Send us a text message, 908-325-5163. Send the word live. We'll sign you up to get these devotionals every day. But um, as you're doing that, or if you have a calculator, I need someone's help today. So how many weeks are in a year? How many Sundays do we normally have in a year? 52. 52 Sundays. Okay. So if we only think about the gathering, then we have 52 Sundays that we have an opportunity for people to hear the good news being preached. And if you say, well, that doesn't sound like a lot, Pastor. It's not a lot. So if we only rely on our Sunday morning and me preaching or one of our pastors preaching, 52 weeks a year is kind of what we're getting. If every week we, pre we preach and give a salvation opportunity for people to respond to Christ. So it doesn't feel like enough. Let's ramp it up. Let's go to 365 days a year and say, Pastor, if we could just open the doors of the church 365 days a year, we could have 365 opportunities for the gospel to be preached. That sounds like a little bit more. But if we can understand what it means to live on mission, I want you to watch what's about to happen. To live on mission, meaning every day we want to preach the good news. Every day we want to be ready. Not just me, not just the pastor, all of us that are followers of Jesus. Are you with me? Here's what can happen. Because 365 opportunities at this platform, that's a powerful thing. But if you live on mission every day, every one of you, we have 1,500 people that call Evangel Church home that are part of our services on any given Sunday. If 1,500 people got this in their hearts, do the, do the math with me. 1,500 times, that's the X on your calculator, 365. Do you see that number? 547,500. That's how many opportunities to preach the gospel there would be with 1,500 of us living on mission. Is my calculator broken or is that a lot of numbers? Is that a lot of opportunities? Are you with me right now? That's the power of what happens when we scatter. That's the power of what happens if we don't just reduce being the church to what happens in a building, but we say every day we will live on mission. There are over half a million opportunities to preach the gospel this year just bound up in this church that's watching right now. Oh, what Jesus wants to do. Come on, that 53%, I see it starting to go down. I see more people coming into the kingdom. I see lives being forever changed if we can learn what it means to live on mission. That's what we're going to do as a church in this season. We want to learn how to live on mission. This intimidates some of us to understand this. And so I want to spell it out for you, literally. We're going to spell the word live over four weeks. L-I-V-E. And if you can get these four principles in your heart and in your life, you can live on mission every single day. So let's talk about the first one. Sound good? Here's what we're going to do. This is L in live on mission. 
and it stands for led by the Spirit. We must have Spirit-led lives. If we want to live on mission, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Some of you may not realize this, but evangelism is a Spirit-led endeavor. Evangelism, I'll say it one more time, is a Spirit-led endeavor. It is something that we need the leading and guidance of the Holy Spirit to be a part of it. So let's take a look here in Acts chapter 5, and we want to look at what it means to be led by the Spirit, to actually be led by the Spirit, to live on mission, to see people come to know Jesus. When people were scattered, one of those that were scattered, verse 5, is a man named Philip. Philip is a follower of Jesus. Philip is someone who came to be known as Philip the Evangelist. And here's what it says about Philip. Philip went to the city of Samaria, say Samaria, and he told people there about the Messiah. And the crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And those who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. In verse 8, let's read this all together. So there was great joy in that city. There was joy in Samaria. And guess what? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. And where are you going to go? To Jerusalem, to Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was leading, guiding, directing. The scattering led him to Samaria, where a revival broke out. People came to put their faith in Jesus. People were baptized, we read here in Acts chapter 8. People were being transformed, and the end result was that there was such a great joy in the city. People were overwhelmed by what was happening to them. Now, what was amazing about Samaria, and we'll learn more about this in the series, Samaria was, as Pastor Ralph last week says, it was on the other side. It was in that place where no one wanted to go. It was in that place that the other people were. The people that we don't associate with, that we don't talk to, that we don't care for. But guess what? When you're being led by the Spirit, he's going to lead you not to those that you care for, those that he cares for, those that he loves. And if we're willing to be led by him, he's going to bring us to some amazing, amazing places and do some incredible things. But here's the thing. You can't get stuck there. You have to know every day he wants to lead you to new appointments. And here's what happens is sometimes we begin to see God move in a church service and we never want to leave. We love it. When we start to see God doing the miraculous, God is doing the miraculous in Samaria. But here's what we learn. The Holy Spirit's not done. And it isn't enough just for what's happening in the revival because there's a revival in Samaria. It isn't just about what was happening in the service. But the Holy Spirit began to speak to Philip. And we get down to verse 26, and the Spirit of God begins to say through an angel of the Lord comes and says, Philip, I need you to leave the revival and go down the south road in the desert that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So the Holy Spirit pulls him out of the revival and says, go down a desert road. Sometimes, if we're willing to be led by the Holy Spirit, we are going to find ourselves stepping into some strange places that make no sense with no extra direction. That's why we have a value here at Evangel that says follow the prompt. We follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So he speaks and puts him on this road. Why? Because God wasn't just satisfied with what was happening in the church service. 
there was one that wasn't a part of the gathering that was on the heart of God. And he was setting up a divine appointment. So a part of that 53% I've been talking to you about, this person was never coming to this service. This person was never showing up to Samaria. This person wasn't coming to church, and we'll learn why in a couple minutes. And so Jesus was going to them. The Spirit of God was leading somebody to go that they could be reached. He says, go. Now what's interesting is some scholars debate this, this verse. Verse 26. Because in the, in the original language, in the Greek, it's, it can be translated two ways. If we'll put back up verse 26 for a second. It says, the angel of the Lord says, go south down the desert road. That word south actually could also be um, defined as noon. So there's two interpretations. One is go south. One, the other is go at noon. Here's, I'm not here to tell you which one it is. I'm here to tell you no matter which one it is, what's so powerful about it is how precise the instruction is. That the Holy Spirit knows the time and place of where he wants to meet with his people. The time and place of where someone who's far from God is going to be. A desert road. Not a metropolitan highway. A desert road right there at a certain point in time in a certain place. Philip goes. And as he's going, we begin to learn about this beautiful divine appointment. Here's what it says in verse 27. He started out and on his way, somebody say on his way. He met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Verse 28, now he was returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. He was reading the book of Isaiah, found in our New Testament scriptures. He had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He's now on his way back to Ethiopia. He's the treasurer of all the nation, a man of incredible wealth, incredible status, and he's on his way. This would be someone that we could imagine had, from the outside, everything anyone could ever want. He had the chariot. He had money. He was in charge of a whole nation's treasury. He served under the queen. But there's one thing he longed for. To worship God. So much that he took a journey to Jerusalem from Ethiopia. For some of you, you may not understand the geography, but can I set it for you? That journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is a five-month journey one way. He is on a five-month journey to go to Jerusalem, to worship, to get into the presence of God. This man that had so much... And here's the devastating part of it. He got to Jerusalem, and there was one problem. He would not be able to worship the Lord, I'm sure, the way he would have wanted to worship the Lord. Because there was one problem. He was a eunuch. Now, you may not know what a eunuch is, but what it means is that his male reproductive organ had been removed. Why is that significant? Why does that continue to show up in the story? Because in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, in God's law, it states, Deuteronomy chapter 23, all of those who are forbidden to be a part of the assembly of God's people, those that would not be welcomed in. And the first one mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 23 is the eunuch. 
they're not welcomed in to the assembly. Can you imagine someone, a man of great renown, who has all the stature, money, and status, comes to Jerusalem five months' journey and is not admitted to the assembly of God's people because of who he is. And the Bible says he was now turned around on his way home. And on the first day of that journey home, I'm going to invite the worship team to come help me. On the first day of his trip home, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip in the middle of a revival and says, go down that road. There's somebody I want you to meet. There's somebody that's on the heart of God that's never coming to the service. Are you with me right now? They can't get through the door. They're not allowed through the door. There are people in our lives that have built barriers in themselves and have come to believe that they can never walk through this door. That doesn't mean God doesn't want to get to them. That doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't want to reach them. He needs somebody willing to be led by his spirit. That's willing to see this thing as not what happens on Sunday, but what happens every day. To step out. Philip was one of those. And as he's on his way, riding back on this road at this exact moment in time, church, don't miss this. The Bible says he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. In the prophet Isaiah, we actually see exactly where he's reading from. He's reading from Isaiah 53. Why is Isaiah 53 so significant? Because it's a messianic passage. What that means is that it's a prophetic passage that speaks about who Jesus is and about what Jesus endured on the cross and about how he died for our sins. He's reading this passage. He doesn't understand it. But what's even more powerful is in a little while, if he continues reading, he's going to get to Isaiah 56. It's only three chapters away. And I don't know if you know about Isaiah 56, but I'm sure these words are going to mean a lot to him. Because in Isaiah 56, there's a promise. In this promise in Isaiah 56, let's take a look at it. Here's what it says to someone who's reading it, driving in a chariot, having driven five months to Jerusalem, now on his way home. Who knows what he's feeling? It says, do not let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. Do not let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath day holy. For those who do what pleases me, for those who commit their lives to me, I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I will give them is an everlasting one. Uh, it will never disappear. He's getting to chapter 56. But before this eunuch can experience the promise of Isaiah 56, he has to be introduced to the person of Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ, his Lord, his Savior. Because without Jesus, he's hopeless. Without Jesus, he's held at arm's length. Without Jesus, he is not welcomed in. And that's why the Holy Spirit led Philip, who is uniquely equipped to enlighten him. So here's what the Holy Spirit says in verse 29. The Holy Spirit prompted Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. The Bible says Philip ran. I want to be like that. I want to be when the Holy Spirit nudges and prompts. I, I go running. I'm ready. No hesitation in my heart. I'm ready. He comes right alongside the, the, the carriage. And he heard him reading, verse 30, the prophet Isaiah. 
And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Come on, who, the exact moment he walks by, he's reading aloud from Isaiah 53 about Jesus. The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. I want you to know there are people that are close to you in your life that are far from God. And if you're willing to be led by the Spirit, he will bring you to divine appointments. When you're not going to ask, ask to draw near to them, they're going to invite you to come and speak to them. They're going to invite you in that moment to help them understand maybe something that they're walking through. And that's a divine appointment. So he urged him to come in. One of the greatest honors to be invited in. In the passage of Scripture, verse 32, he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers and did not open his mouth, he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is a passage he's reading. And the eunuch says to Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with that same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. In that moment in the chariot, he told him, there is hope. Jesus came and he died for your sins and for mine. He proclaimed the good news of who Jesus was. And I'm telling you, for this eunuch, it was very good news. For someone who wondered how, if he could ever be welcomed in, to know there was someone who came, who knew humiliation, who received no justice, who died in his place. Something powerful happened as they rode along, the Bible says. The eunuch looks over and sees a body of water and says, Look, water, why can't I be baptized? If this is who Jesus is, can I be welcomed in? And Philip, come on, Philip went running into that water with him and baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that day, he was welcomed into the assembly. In that day, he received the new name. In that day, God fulfilled the promise of Isaiah 56 in his life. He was welcomed in. He was given a brand new name and a brand new inheritance. Why? Because one person led by the Spirit was willing to live on mission, was willing to share, and was not just satisfied with the revival in Samaria, but his heart was breaking for one more to come to know Jesus. In the moment that, that he came out of the water, the Bible said the Holy Spirit snatched away Philip and took him somewhere else up north. Why? So he can go village to village sharing the good news about Jesus with others. Here's what I want you to know. It isn't one and done. It's one more. And then tomorrow it's one more. And then tomorrow it's one more. Amen? You know, I want to just share a story that's near to my heart with you as we get ready to close. When I started here at Evangel, I was young adults pastor uh, for some years. And one of the first families I had a chance to, to meet and get to know early on when Mandy and I were serving was a precious family, the Abraham family. And they probably had come here to the church about a year or so into our time in the young adults ministry and they were serving Asha and her sister Ashley um, serving in the ministry and doing some amazing things and they said will you come over and have lunch with our family and so we went and we ate with them and I had a chance to meet their uh, precious parents and I got to meet their mom Dina. Dina was a lovely woman, loved the Lord, um, so kind, so gracious she cared so much about what we wanted to eat and to make sure we were happy. Uh, when we were there, I could still remember it like it was yesterday. And they just, they, they, were, they were so hospitable towards us. 
I didn't learn, I don't think, that day, but I learned shortly after that that Dina had just been diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer. And up until that time, she was a quiet, prayerful woman, loved the Lord, served the Lord in ministry. But after she had received that diagnosis, her world was rocked, as you can imagine. And they sought the Lord because the, the, the diagnosis was terminal. But as she prayed, the Lord gave her a word to Dina. Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. And so she took that to heart. Something in her changed. Now, many people change when, they're, when they get a, a, a life-threatening diagnosis. They change. But often I see people get bitter and their world gets rocked. But something different happened. Dina changed in a different way. She didn't get bitter. She got bolder. She got bolder about her faith. Someone who was just quiet, prayerful, now every day and every opportunity, every interaction, she would just say, listen, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? I want you to know the gospel. I want you to know today that there's hope. And you, Like anyone she would talk to, any doctor she was visiting with, anyone, she just lived to share the gospel. This got so deeply consuming in her family that, that Dina and her husband began to travel to India and start evangelistic ministries. And they would just travel around India to areas that were closed off to the gospel. In fact, in one of those occasions, while she's dealing with cancer, they get arrested by the authorities because they're preaching the gospel. They're held and detained and threatened, and then they get released with no incident. I mean, they were in the throes of it. They lived on mission. Are you with me? And Dina lived on mission every single day. She would share about the Lord. She'd be a part of prayer hotlines and times so passionate. You could not come into her home. You could not be her neighbor. You could not be a part of her life and not know the Jesus that she loved. She had to tell you. She had, I'm not telling you she wanted to tell you. She had to tell you. Because this word got in her heart. God if I'm going to live and not die, then I'm going to proclaim the works that you've done. I'm going to tell people about who you are, the God that's sustaining my life. Over the last six months, things took a deep turn with her. And she got put into home hospice care. For many, you would see this is, this is not looking good. She had days where she couldn't eat. She had days where it was hard to talk. But can I tell you, every day that someone new came to visit, she needed to muster up enough strength to share the gospel with them. She shared the gospel with her hospice nurses, with anyone that would deliver things to the home, with any neighbor. In fact, as she was just weeks away from passing away at the edge of death, she spoke with one of her friends on FaceTime and said, listen, I know when I go, I'm going to be in heaven and I want you to be there with me one day. She preached the gospel every single day. Just a few weeks ago, she breathed her last breath and entered into the presence of her Savior. And I had the opportunity to stand with her family and be a part of this funeral service. And as I'm there, I'm listening. So many people getting up and sharing about her. So many that knew her before I knew her, saying she lived this one life, but then when she got diagnosed, something changed in her, and she just started sharing the gospel with everyone. She became so bold about her faith. And I realized something. As I was standing there listening, I realized that something changed in her heart, that she realized this. God, if you're going to give me another day, then it's to lead someone else into your presence. 
And she lived for 12 years every day like it was her last day, like it was her last opportunity to share the love of Christ, to live on mission, to introduce someone else. And the Holy Spirit took a hold of her life and used her so powerfully. She was such a force of evangelism till her last breath she was using it to share Jesus with other people. Talk about living on mission. And as I stood there, I thought about her. And I thought about how much she cared for me. This is the picture God gave. She cared so much that if she was going to be in my presence as a pastor, she had to cook the right food. All this while dealing with the diagnosis. Anytime I went to visit, she fretted over the plans. My wife will tell you. And I thought it's because she cared so much about whose presence she was in. She wanted to make sure she could give them something that mattered. And I believe somewhere in Dina's heart, when she knew that what she was faced with was terminal, she knows, Lord, I'm coming into your presence. And what can I bring you? You are not going to love my casserole as much as other people might. Is it going to be me being able to set up some fixes? Is it going to be, what am I going to bring you, Lord? What am I going to bring Jesus? You know, I've heard this question asked by pastors. It says, we'll lay our crowns at his feet. We'll bring all of our accolades, everything that we've ever accomplished and put it at his feet. And what would matter to the heart of God? What would impress the heart of Christ? Some of us, is it going to be our degrees? Is it going to be our bank account? Is it going to be our giving statement, how much we gave to the Lord? I mean, is any of that going to matter for eternity? And it just hit me that Dina gets to go into the presence of God and she gets to bring countless souls over those 12 years that she introduced to Jesus personally. What greater blessing, church family, than to live your life for that, than to be used by God for that. Would you stand to your feet with me today? There's going to be a day that we're all going to step into his presence. There's going to be a day that we're all going to stand before God. And number one, I want to stand before God with no regrets. I don't want to have wasted a moment or a minute of what this time is that he's given us. I don't want to miss one opportunity, one divine appointment. I don't want to have missed it. But oh, the joy in my heart that if I could stand before God one day and say, Jesus, here I am. Here's the crowns at your feet. But let me introduce you to some people that, Lord, you led me to, and, and I led them to you. And now they're in your presence. Come on, what greater joy than to have a family, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, someone that the Lord has called you to introduce to Jesus just by being obedient to be led by his spirit and live on mission. Lives can be changed forever. I want to be a soul winner. I want to be someone that makes a difference for eternity. I want my life to be committed to that, for him to use me across the street, around the world. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor. I want the Lord to use me. How about you? So I want to pray for you today. If you're within the sound of my voice and God's lighting a fire in your heart to say, yes, I want that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that is. But something in me knows that that's what I want to do. I want to be used by God. I want to live my life on mission. I want to be led by him. If that's you, just leave your seat right now. I would invite you to come to this altar. I would invite you to go to the altar at Woodbridge if you're there. And I just want to pray over you because I believe that the Lord wants to pour out his presence. I believe that for those that answer that call, the Lord will fulfill his promise. So come on, let's go into this uh, chorus real quick with the worship team sings. And I don't want you to hold back. If you're in the 
the balcony, just come. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. If that's you and you just feel like, Lord, I want to be a soul winner. I want to lead others. There are people that are close to me but far from you, and I can't do it on my own. I don't even know what to do. I don't even have the words to say. But, Lord, I want to be used. If you'll send someone, Lord, if you'll use anyone, use me. That's what you're doing today. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability, saying, Jesus, I make myself available to you. Lord, no longer do I want to pass by anyone, Lord. No longer do I want to miss an opportunity. I want to be used by you. Come on, just come if that's you. Don't don't feel hesitant in any way. Just come on, and we're just going to get together, and we're going to pray in just a moment. If that's you, just come as they're singing.
for what you're doing in the hearts of your people. Come on, if that's you and you're here, you're watching at home and you feel this fire burning in your heart, we're going to begin to pray right now. Oh, Jesus, Lord God, you see our lives open before you. You see how we desire, Lord, just to be used by you. And Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, light a fire in the hearts of your people. Make us so sensitive to your voice. May we walk differently. May our ears be attuned differently. May we position ourselves, Lord God, just to be ready, ready to be used by you, Lord God. Not intimidated, not feeling a lack because of our ability, Lord God, but making ourselves available to you. So Lord, come and use us. Come, give us a courage and a boldness that can only come by your spirit to stand, to speak, to just to be found, Lord, faithful, faithful to share, faithful to open our mouth, faithful to live on mission, Lord God, to be used by you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, as you set divine appointments, that, Lord God, you're going to give us the ability to see people come to know you in amazing ways. We thank you, Lord God, that if the face of Ethiopia could be changed by one man, one eunuch that was transformed in your presence, Lord God, what can happen whenever we make ourselves available to you? What can that mean for our workplaces and our families and our communities? We say, come and have your way. Come and lead us and guide us forward. In your name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, would you praise the Lord with me today?